Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. I just want to say for, for men's meat night, it's okay to also bring vegetables to that too. <laughs> That's, I know I figured I was going to already be making enemies here, but I plan on bringing some vegetables. You know, men's meat night where you also want to live past your, your 50s. <laughs> Good morning, Mercy Commons. <laughs> My name is Travis, for those who haven't, haven't had a chance to meet you. Um, if, you're, if you're checking out Mercy Commons as if this is your, your first time, or as Brittany said, you're somewhere in between the sticking six or sticking 12 or sticking wherever, it's good to see you and, and welcome. I hope I have a chance to meet you. Um, for students, I know school's starting back up, so welcome students, those who are, are back in town for that. Um, for those who have been joining us the past few weeks, we're, we're working through um, our four sort of values as a community, the four things that we feel as Mercy Commons were specifically called to do within the city of Fullerton. And those four are reveling in the mercies of God, proclaiming the mercies of God, demonstrating the mercies of God, and participating in acts of good for the city of Fullerton or for the common good, acts of mercy for the common good. And so we've been doing that by looking through the book of Psalms and, and sort of doing things bit, a bit differently in terms of longer worship, things like that. So we'll, we'll do that today as well. Um, I have the privilege of, of, of landing it. Neil did a great job last week talking through proclaiming the mercies of God, proclaiming the gospel. And I'll be talking through uh, participating in acts of good, uh, acts of mercy for the common good. We'll be talking about participate. I'm also excited to say that Ryan McDonald will be with us next week to talk about what what the sort of next step in our foster care journey looks like as a community. And he'll be preaching as well. So yeah, Ryan McDonald. Um, he'll, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. So I guess in a way you get two weeks of participate, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. But my hope today, we're going to be looking at Psalm 82, and I hope that we see as we look through Psalm 82 that we worship a God who in his wisdom invites his creation into meaningful participation that has an impact. That secondly, God is concerned with the treatment of those who are lowly, orphans, poor, destitute, or needy. That there's a class of people that God is very concerned with how they're treated. And finally, that through the incarnation, we see the ultimate act of participation through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That Jesus then invites us to join him in his participation within creation as the Spirit guides and leads us as he reconciles all things to himself. And why is this? It's because we worship a God in his wisdom, who in his wisdom invites his creation to meaningful participation that has an impact. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up. We're going to be reading from Psalm 82. It's about halfway through the Bible. Um, it's, it's, a long, it's a long book of the Bible, so you can't really miss it. If you don't have your Bible, you can follow along on the screens up here, and I'll be reading out of the Common English Bible. Psalm 82. God takes his stand in the divine council. He gives judgment among the gods. How long will you judge unjustly by granting favor to the wicked? Give justice to the lowly and the orphan. Maintain the right of the poor and the destitute. Rescue the lowly and the needy. Deliver them from the power of the wicked. They don't know. They don't understand. They wander around in the dark. All the earth's foundations shake. I hereby declare you are gods, children of the Most High, all of you, but you will die like mortals. You will fall down like any prince. Rise up, God. 
judge the earth because you hold all nations in your possession. Jesus, I pray for us as a community as we look at this text this morning that you would um, soften our hearts. Would you quiet our minds where there might be distractions, um, even for myself where I might be distracted. Would you quiet our hearts to hear what you're speaking, Spirit? And would you help us to hold fast to you? We thank you that there is powerful, there is power in your word. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So God in his wisdom invites his creation to meaningful participation that has an impact. So as we read off right, right away from the beginning of this psalm, where God takes his stand in the divine council, he gives judgment among the gods. And already you're like, wait, what is going on here? What is this talking about? If, if you're newer to the Bible, you're wondering, okay, who's this, who's this divine council? I thought that we only worship one God and now we're talking about gods. What in the world is this? Well, theologians generally sort of, this is something that is debatable in terms of is, is, is what the psalmist is talking about, is it human rulers, is it human judges, or is there actually something in terms of this divine council where, as Paul talks about with the powers and principalities, that even though we worship one true God, and in God's wisdom, he actually invites these, there's this seems to be this, uh, this PR team, these people that, or this group of, the, of, of a, a council who helps God in making decisions. And so theologians take sort of two different paths on that in terms of what this might be meaning. Personally, at this point in my life, I'm more convinced by the latter opinion, because in my opinion, when I look at scripture, when I look at the beginning of scripture all the way through, I believe that we worship a God who in his wisdom is fully self-sufficient, who doesn't need any help, but chooses to invite others in, who chooses to share his authority with his creation, who chooses to invite others into decision-making processes that has a meaningful impact. And so when I read this, um, I believe that, yeah, God is talking about, as we see in 1 Kings, we see God asking, hey, what should we do about this bad King Ahab? What do we do here? And, and these members of the divine council are saying, what if we do this or what if we do that? And God actually takes and weighs their opinion. He doesn't need to weigh their opinion. He just actually wants to share authority and invite others into the process of co-ruling his creation. And he also does the same. I think as Ryan will be preaching from Psalm 8 next week, but I think in there we see a picture that God's intention is to do that with humanity as well, that from the very beginning as God creates earth, he brings along humans to say, hey, help me co-rule this. And it's actually humanity in our desire to say, I want to rule, I want to define good and evil on my own terms, that I will do it in the way that, as humans, that we see fit. And it's actually through that that we see this now, this tension of God wanting to invite humans into this, inviting humans into to, uh, extending out his kingdom, inviting into extending out God's goodness. We even see this, like, for example, in Exodus 34, where God talks to Moses and God says, all right, this is after the, the golden calf, and like, God is very upset with the Israelites, understandably. And, and he says, get out of the way, Moses. I'm going to start over with you. I'm going to get rid of the, everyone else. I'll start with you. I'll make a great nation out of you. And Moses stands in the way and intercedes for, for the people and says, don't do this, God. Turn, turn and relent from this. And God actually then listens and relents from what he was going to do. So I'm not saying this is very, very complicated, um, very hard stuff. Obviously, people who love Jesus have come to different conclusions on this, have argued about it for a long time of what these things mean. I'm not going to sort this out right now. But I think there is this mystery, that there is this mystery where God and his wisdom has chosen to invite in, invite in his creation into co-ruling, inviting in saying, I am still God, 
I'm still sovereign, but in my sovereignty, what it looks like is I care about inviting others in. I care about inviting others in to participate, and I want to do this together versus just doing it all on my own. So I think that's just the mystery that we have to sit with in the tension and the reality of the world we, what we live in. And I'll, I'll share in addition to, we upload the sermons every week with some sermon questions and reflections. Um, I'll share a couple of videos as well that maybe talk about spiritual beings and divine counsel for those who are still confused of what is he talking about? I'm still not sure. And so we see that God in his wisdom has invited in humans. His intention is for humans to partner with him in the earthly realm and co-ruling creation. And that also there is this, within the heavenly realm, this divine counsel that God intends to, to invite in, These, this divine counsel that he, he hopes is going to help him rule over the nations. And God is, is sort of, that's who he's coming to and addressing at the beginning of this psalm. Because God cares about, um, he invites in, God intends to invite in his creation uh, in, in meaningful ways, to invites us in for meaningful participation that has an impact. And so the psalm goes on to say that God is not very happy, that this is reality. He's, he's intending for this co-ruling and things are not going well. If we read on in verses 2 to 4, we see God then addressing saying, how long will you judge unjustly by granting favor to the wicked? Give justice to the lowly and the orphan. Maintain the right of the poor and the destitute. Rescue the lowly and the needy and deliver them from the power of the wicked. So we see here that humans have, rather than giving their affections to God, rather than placing our trust in Him and, invite, and allowing Him to help us co-rule creation after following Him, instead, we give our affections, we give our allegiance to these false gods. We give our affections to things that lead us astray. And, and, and following that and following after that sin, we wind up in very, um, very bad places. As, as John Golden Gay uh, re observes in talking about this specific psalms, he says, the religion of the gods legitimated a hierarchical social system in which those at the top prospered and those at the bottom suffered, one that emphasized the economic prosperity of the powerful at the expense of the exercise of authority and faithfulness towards the needy. Psalm 82 is also one of the most spectacular for its definition of a God who has tied his divinity to the fate of the poor and the dispossessed. God cares deeply about the treatment of those who are lowly, orphans, poor, destitute, or needy. So while in our current cultural climate, we, we see that we challenge the idea, people will say, well, who really is needy? Who really is destitute? We actually make enemies out of one another and deny the fact that this person has worth or that person has worth. We become really tribalistic. Generally, we actually take it, I think, as, as a given that humans have worth and value. That when That's sort of a baseline for, for Western civilization that in some sense debatable today that people fight about, but we generally hope to say that people have some sort of dignity. But at the time of this psalm, that was not a given. It was not given that humans had any sort of dignity. Um, not all humans were, were thought to be made equal or have universal value. But the Bible proposes something that's unique, this idea of the concept of the image of God, that it's not simply the ruler is the one who is somehow more connected to the divine and the image of God and the rest of us aren't, but rather, no, all humanity is the image of God. There is equal, there is worth and value that's shared, and that's a unique contribution that we see within Scripture, that this is the God we worship, that He cares about all humans. 
And so because of that, Israel is told again and again throughout Scripture not to forget the lowly, not to forget the orphan, the poor, the needy, the destitute, these groups of people that are, will fall victim to social systems that don't support them well, that as the nations are saying, these false gods are saying, hey, you know, humans come to me, I'll help you be powerful, I'll help you rule, I'll give you these things that as we turn to these idols, as we turn to these false gods, what ends up happening in that turning towards and gaining power and economic wealth is throughout uh, and, and the nations around Israel is that these other people were forgotten and taken advantage of. And so that's something that God cares about as a litmus test to say, if you're following me, I care about all people. I care about how you treat all people. And so he calls Israel not to forget the vulnerable, but rather rebukes them often through the prophets for forgetting these marginalized people. And so within our own cultural moment, there's, there's a lot of conversation around what does this mercy, what does this justice look like? And for some, even me mentioning these concepts or saying marginalized, I, I realize this can be a very a triggering thing. And so my hope in this um, is, is that we would allow the Holy Spirit to say, if I'm feeling anxious or stressed or I'm angry at this part, political party or that political party, rather to say, Holy Spirit, what are you speaking right now? What, in the midst of all this noise, what are you wanting to speak about mercy and justice? So even, even as you're hearing this, um, my hope is not that you feel just frustrated and anxious talking about these things, but rather we can look to Scripture and say, okay, what does God care about? And, and put aside what maybe our culture is saying, per se. And so for some, these can be triggering or uncomfortable conversations. I, I think the church, we can spend a lot of time wanting to define ourselves against other things. We want to say, well, we don't believe this. Well, we, we're not like this group of people. We're not like that group of people. And I think there's room for these conversations about how we, how we agree or disagree with certain political ideologies, certain philosophies. There's room for that. But I think what often happens for a lot of us is that we spend so much time arguing what we're not that we forget about who we are. And unfortunately, while I think there is merit in discussing these different views and how we agree or disagree, what often happens is it leads to a place of inaction. We kind of feel like, well, what do I do? How do I do anything? If I move in this direction, these group of people will hate me. If I move in that direction, everyone over here is going to hate me because I don't, want to be, I don't want to be aligned with this group or that group. And so it often leads to we use certain labels and phrases as a means of then coming to inaction rather than maybe where there is a place for conversation about where there's agreement and disagreement and those types of things. So my contention is that we should not feel like we have to fit into um, these either-or boxes, that these either-or boxes of we have to do mercy and justice this way or we have to do it that way. We don't believe this or we can't believe that, that so often we get trapped in these either-or boxes um, in terms of what a political party might say, in terms of what a legal philosophy might say or what the media wants to force us as Christians into. We don't have to only say that the vulnerable are in their position because of their own choices, that they're there because of the actions, they've, of the things they've done, of the things they've given themselves to, and what they need is just to pull themselves up by the bootstrap and that would solve everything. Nor do we need to say that they're there only because of the systems of power that exist that put them into that position. We can be people who are both and. We can be people who are willing to stand in the middle and say, the human heart is broken. The human heart has given its allegiance to sin and death. And because of that, I am prone to making bad decisions and my heart needs to be transformed. And so I wind up in addiction. I wind up turning into things that will bring death. But I can also say 
that there are powers and principalities in the world. There are things behind this capital S sin, the, the Pharaoh, the, the evil behind the Roman Empire, the evil that we see in our midst and say, no, there really is evil that props up systems that can lead to people being unjust, that then works with my own broken heart to wind me up further in sin. But we can say it's both and. We can be willing to say as Christians, we can have approaches towards participation that look at both the personal problem and the need for the transformation of the heart and the social problem where we're actually making decisions and we're creating systems that cause and bring about um, suffering for people. A community that is transformed and has transformed hearts and lives by the reality of the resurrected king does bring impact. And also a community that cares about that our war is not with flesh and blood, with powers and principalities and, and speaks to those and speaks truth into that darkness can also bring an impact. We don't need to deny systemic injustices and the effects they have on the marginalized. We don't need to deny the reality of the brokenness of sin in our own individual lives. We can recognize both, and we don't have to be, we don't have to be given to one or the other. We don't have to allow discussions in the culture to immobilize us from feeling like we can have an impact in the city because of a, we can have a meaningful impact in the city. We can have an impact in the city through participation with the Holy Spirit. As Justin Gibney puts it, one of the biggest lies of this age is the insistence that we can't be compassionate and maintain orthodox Christian convictions. You can acknowledge the brokenness in yourself and others and treat yourself and others with love and kindness. We don't have to be given to the lies of the age that for me to care about these, these broken systems and for me to care about people who are marginalized, I have to set aside my belief in an orthodox Christian sexual ethic or in beliefs about the reality of sin in order to care, nor do I have to ignore them because I just want to maintain this belief. It's possible, difficult, very hard, and no one is going to like you, but we worship a king who calls us to be in that middle and be willing to be made uncomfortable. We can acknowledge the need for submitting to Jesus, allegiance to Jesus, the true king of creation, and we can acknowledge the need for the transformation of the heart and, that for, and for the forgiveness of sins. And we can also be compassionate and fight for others, even though we disagree with. We can be both and in regards to as we, as we show mercy and justice. So God invites us to join him in meaningful participation in his creation by following him. He brings about the renewal of our hearts and the forgiveness of our sins. He empowers us to join him in pushing back the powers and principalities that prop up systems that end up promoting the power and prosperity of some over others, over the poor, the destitute, the needy. In our own age, that could also include immigrants, women, people of color, single moms and dads, people experiencing homelessness, people with disabilities, and the list can just, the people that get pushed to the edge and marginalized within our society. They're in our midst, and we see in this psalm that God deeply cares about how, how we treat them, that he is a God who cares for them and sees them. God cares so much about these people and how they're treated that he actually does something about it, that he actually is willing to say, not only is this wrong, but I actually plan to do something about it. 
God takes on our humanity. He, he came into the creation. He decided that he participated with us within creation. God took on humanity, and Jesus reached down to those who are marginalized within society to identify with them and elevate their status, not only to come and identify, but to do something to raise them up, to raise up the status and, and to push back the powers and, and powers and principalities, the sin um, that holds us back. He takes on our sin. He dies in our place. He provides a way through death and out the other side. As Sean reminded us this morning, this image of the veil being torn in the new age, the age to come, that that has entered in now. And, and, and we see Jesus coming in, part, helping. he invites us to help participate with him and bringing that in now, to joining him in and reconciling all things to himself. So as the psalm kind of concludes, we see this sort of, uh, we see God saying, I hereby declare you are God's children of the Most High, all of you, but you will die like mere mortals. You will fall down like any prince. Rise up, God, judge the earth, because you hold all nations in your possession. And we see in the incarnation God saying this, saying that the, the false gods have held people captive, that there are these, these rulers, and God is coming in to say, no, you are not God. You will not have the final say. I I will come and conquer you. I will judge where there is wickedness, where there is brokenness, where people are marginalized. I will come in and bring health. I will bring life. I will bring the transformation of the heart, the forgiveness of sins. I will end these corrupt systems. And we see in Jesus, in an upside-down way, the start of that. Throughout Jesus' ministry, we see, him, we see him inviting people to follow him, and we also see him casting out demons. There's a sense where he's, he's casting out, he's waging war against these powers and principalities, and he's also forgiving people's sin. He's, also, he's, he's coming against sort of the self-righteousness, the sinfulness of people. He's doing both and in terms of, of, in terms of um, coming against his own age. We see him calling people to submit our lives. We see him calling people to submit their lives to him, to see him as the true Lord and King, to follow him, to, to repent, to turn and live a different way in terms of living the ethic of the kingdom. Jesus both confronts the power systems that are at play in his day, and he is interruptible by people and present to them. He is a God that is not just coming about and just cast out a demon here, but don't, don't talk to me. Heal someone there, but don't talk to me. He is someone who is present, and I think that can teach us about how we can participate today in our own city. Jesus was aware of people. He was ingrained in their lives, and he was present to their needs. He knew what was going on. He knew people. He knew their names, and he had grown up amongst the people that he was doing ministry with. We, we, we may know, I, I find myself, I'm guilty of this, I feel like I may know some ins and outs of larger cultural discussions around discussions around uh, COVID or discussions around how to handle different economic realities and maybe on a high level, on a national level, but I don't really always know what's going on in my own city and know sort of like here's what's going on in Fullerton day in and day out that will probably affect me a lot more than necessarily what's going on at the big high-level conversations. And so one way that we can join Jesus in participation is by starting locally. Who are the people that are around us? Who are the people who are around my home and my life group? Who are the people that we're running into in the midst of our day-to-day -day life? Do I know them? Do I know their story? Am I willing to ask them questions and say, hey, what are the things that you need? I know a few months ago we partnered with OC United in a really practical way to say with different families in the Richmond community, to how can we love you? How can we support you? And, and it, it was hard. I think for a lot of our life groups it kind of floundered out and 
There, but there is also real moments of, of knowing, I know for some life groups, of actually getting to know a family and being able to figure out how can we support them and, and support their needs. And I know it's complicated because we don't want to create like a system of dependency and this, it can raise a whole bunch of other questions. And Jesus actually does call us to be um, wise as snakes, to be shrewd, to be, to be people who are discerning and not wanting to just cause people to now be dependent upon me. But I would rather have us be having those kinds of conversations in terms of how do we not do that as we're going along the way versus feeling immobilized of saying, well, before I even start doing something, I need to learn everything. I'd rather sort of say, hey, we're helping this family, and I want to make sure we're not going to be creating a, them being depend- a system of dependency on us. Let's talk about what that looks like as we're going and, and more on the way. So I'd rather have us taking a step out and being willing to to risk and, and be willing to, to do something versus saying, hey, before you go and do everything right, you need to learn everything. So, um, yeah, so I think that's something that there, we do need wisdom in this, but Jesus will help us. As we become aware of things going on on a personal level, I think there's an opportunity even to say what's going on at the city level. What are the conversations that are being had and how are the outcomes of those conversations impacting people? How are the outcomes of conversations about housing developments or about how we handle certain things in the city? How's that going to impact people in the day-to-day business? And I'm not saying that we all need to do this. As Sean said, the goal in this is not the sense of condemnation and you're not doing enough. No, the reality is is that we are we are freed in Jesus. As I said earlier, God is the one who has authority. He is the one who has power. He will accomplish everything he sets out to do, out to do. Even though he invites us to participate, that doesn't mean that he can't do anything apart from us. Uh, the reality is he wants us to participate with him and to join with him, but we're not doing things to earn his worth. It's out of being uh, renewed and being renewed in heart and mind and following Jesus that then we say, what does it look like for the kingdom to come and break in our midst in Fullerton? But we do all of this participation as a community. Maybe there's someone within our community who has a desire and a passion and a love for city council and politics. I don't personally. I'm interested, but I'm not the kind of person that says, let me just go and sit at the city council meeting and figure out the, you know, the, the personal dynamics and all these decisions and to learn the ins and outs. Like, that doesn't sound like fun to me. But I think there's an opportunity to say how, what is going on at the city level and how can we speak into it as, as a church or churches in Fullerton to love our community. That, that's one way practically I think we can participate in acts of mercy. Uh, and, and it helps us to maybe have perspectives that don't just align with one political party or one agenda, but rather to speak the truth of, of what we believe about Jesus, what we believe about what Jesus says about human life, about the marginalized, about people within society. Um, that's, that's the hope, is that we can be a people who speak that. Jesus also shows us that our participation can be both proactive and reactive. It can be both... Uh, it can be both a planned out thing or a proactive participation. I think we forget that Jesus was fully human, and I believe that as he is going about his ministry, he thought about what are the towns that I will be visiting? What are the things in which I, like the people I'll be talking to? He probably sat up at night in terms of thinking through, um, as he went town to town, he preached the Sermon on the Mount, thought about what town am I going to? How am I announcing the king? What are some images? He's thinking about these things. He's, he's fully God and fully man, but I think out of, we don't, we were kind of uncomfortable with him being a planner and him thinking about these things. I think participation can be proactive. We can think about what are, what are the things ahead of time going on in our city, or we can be in conversations within the city and proactive in that. 
And I think that's one way that Jesus shows us. He also shows us that he is reactive in his participation of acts of mercy. As he's going along the way, a woman, a woman comes and touches his, touches his cloak and is healed. Or as he's going along the way, people are coming to him asking for help, asking, wanting to, you know, encounter him in these powerful ways. And he meets with them. He's not like, ah, oh, get out of the way. Like, I don't have time for you. But he's present to them. And that teaches us in our own participation. It can be reactive to, hey, there's a need at Richmond. And that there's an opportunity we have to, to respond to it. But there's also proactive of saying, well, we're setting our eyes and our gaze to maybe foster care. What, does that look, what are the things that we're, we might have to say no to giving all of our attention to because we're saying yes to this, that there's, there's freedom that to respond in both ways in participation, that we don't have to just do one or just do the other, that we don't just have to free float and we also don't have to only give ourselves to one thing only, but rather the spirit can move in a multitude of ways. Wherever he was, he was always present to people. He was always present to people. I think in our participation, probably the, for me, the reminder that I have for myself is to be present to people. It's one thing for me, and it's not always a bad thing to just give money towards something and give aid towards something, but I think what will actually bring radical transformation, both within people's lives and at a societal level or within a city level, is being present to people, being present to their needs, to inviting them into our life group, to get to know them, get to know their story, to get to know the people on city council, to get to know the types of decisions they're making. We see that in Jesus, that he was a person who was present, um, and I think that was something that, it's something that we can learn by what he does. Band, you can come on up. We're doing a little bit of, we want to be able to go back into worship, so the sermons are a bit shorter. Thankfully for everyone involved, I suppose. Um, I'm a little too rough on myself. The psalm, the psalm shows us that God in his wisdom invites his creation a meaningful participation that has an impact. God shares his authority with his creation, and Jesus invites us to join with him in, in reconciling all things to himself. We see that God is deeply concerned with the treatment of those who are lowly, orphans, poor, destitute, or needy. We can join God in elevating the status of those that are marginalized, those who the powers and principalities within the world want to press down, those who we forget in the pursuit of our own, uh, the things that are sinful, that we forget people, that God cares about those people and does something about it. That through the incarnation, we see the ultimate act of participation in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Jesus invites us then to join him within participation, within creation, as the Spirit guides us and leads us. Participation in acts of mercy is hard. The culture and the church are going to be telling you all the ways you're doing it wrong, all the ways you could be doing it, and so you're going to find within and without the church, you're never going to please everyone. But fortunately, the reality is, is that we have a king who is with us. We have a king who will help us. We have much to learn, and, and for most of us, there is a sense in which the systems that we're a part of, maybe we have been, we have been privileged by them. Maybe we have been beneficiaries of things and we don't realize, oh, life is very different for this person, that I have a lot to learn from their perspective, that there can be a reality of, of Jesus is the one who in his, in his death and resurrection has identified with the lowly, that he became destitute, he became poor, he became needy, he became weak, he became broken on the cross that he is very much aware of those things. He went to the depths of humanity to raise us up in his resurrection so that we don't have to be those things. He has not left us on our own to figure it out. He has come into his creation 
He addresses the problems of our own heart and our own personal sin, and he also takes on the cosmic sin and death, the systems that prop up injustices, the systems that, like I said, we benefit from, but the Holy Spirit is with us to help partner with him and bring pushing those back. He became poor, needy, and destitute to elevate the status of those who are poor, needy, and destitute. And he, will, he can show us how we can too partner with him in participating in acts of mercy that elevate their status in our own day. I want to end with just a reminder of, of Philippians. Therefore, uh, that Paul gives us in the book of Philippians. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any sharing in the spirit, any, symph- any sympathy, complete my joy by thinking the same way having the same love, being united and agreeing with each other. Don't do anything for selfish purposes, but with humility, think of others as better than yourselves. Instead of each person watching out for their own good, watch out for what is better for others. Adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, he did not consider being equal with God something to exploit, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a slave and becoming like human beings. When he found himself in a form of a human, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly honored him and gave him a name that is above all names, so that the name of Jesus, every, every, everyone in heaven, on earth, and under the earth might bow and every tongue confess that Christ Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. encourage you guys to um, use this song as a meditation, a time to just reflect. Um, I actually wrote it about 10 years ago, um, and it's called Be Still, Um, and it's just, yeah, like remembering who God is and kind of getting the bigger picture. I walk too often with my eyes on my feet when they should be on you. Too many times I have found myself wandering, carried away, forgetting why I'm here to be still, be still, quiet your heart, quiet
Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.